Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, welcome to To The Point Podcast, episode 128. I'm Rachel Lyon here with host Eric Trexler, and please welcome today's guest, Charlene Mowry, who is Director of Strategic Initiatives for the Public Sector at Red Hat. Thanks for coming to To The Point, Charlene. Hello. Hi, thanks. It's great to be here. So you have an amazing background. We were just talking about this, and you know, you've been in the, the U.S. Navy. You are a naval officer. You worked on the Ford Island Master Development Effort, and you know, I, I think you've got this great, unique perspective on, you know, how do you drive change in government, transformation, innovation? Uh, and I, I definitely want to dive into that today. But first, you know, when, when you talk about being a director of strategic initiatives, what does that mean? <laughs> that, that's a great, great question. And I, I get that a lot. So there are several uh, key things that Red Hat and public sector in particular have identified to be important to the business, which means important to our our customers. And those really span across multiple uh, areas. And so that's what I focus on. So the big, bigger impact, um, things that scan between defense and civ and some other other components uh, and try to stitch that together and use best practices across. Uh, so primarily for us, and I think we'll talk a little bit more today, that's about modern software design in particular, yeah. um, which is a big focus for Red Hat. And I, I read a previous interview with you as well, where you did talk a lot about customer focus, transparency. Yeah. And, and from what we were talking about earlier, it sounds like that was really a key piece as well to um, the Ford Island master development effort. Or did you want to, <laughs> could you tell, talk a little bit, just high level more about that and, and how you're able to move something forward like that, that's so incredibly complex and so many players uh, and, and just seemingly impossible to, to move that rock up the hill. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Rachel. It was uh, it was long ago and very impactful for me because I was a young officer uh, who was asked to lead that uh, program, which I was super excited to do. It required special legislation and a large number of of different interests from environmentalists, from attorneys, certainly from the government and the Navy in particular, who was driving the requirement, um, legislators and uh, in Navy leadership. And so I I loved it because it was the first, I'll just say, although not technical, um, an innovation challenge and and one that you couldn't see how you were quite going to get to the end to a signed document that was really beneficial for the Navy and for all parties, including our private sector partners. Um, but but it was an exciting journey, and I learned a lot from that. So I talk a lot about that when I reference early points in my life where I learned a lot about leadership and how to bring teams together. Charlene, in the in the prep, you mentioned that with the Fort Island, you you learned you had to understand everybody's interests, and, <laughs> and you had conflicting interests from all the parties associated, right? Environmentalists, the United States right. Navy, probably the Hawaiian people, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and, and I would just say they weren't necessarily in conflict with each other. They were just different, right. you know, right. so that each 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 group had things that were important to them to be preserved. And, and that was true no matter if it was someone running fiscal budgets or someone who was concerned about land use. 
um, from an environmental or from historic view planes. I mean, obviously, it's a very um, historic area there at Fort Island. And so, um, yeah, one of the one of the neat things that I learned was uh, the importance of really understanding key stakeholders and what where their interests were and to not only take that as a snap point uh, and snapshot of time, but also to follow up and have a constant understanding, you would say continuous iterative understanding of where their interests were. Uh, and then that kind of helps stitch together best value for everybody. Um, so that was, and I would spend time and devote time for interviews, um, particularly rotated on that point. And, and really getting the parties to compromise to get the best win for everybody, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was all about that. I mean, most deals are. And uh, at the end, even though you give a little, you get a little. And, and you see that at the end of the day, you provide something that's really great for all parties around. And a success like that, I mean, you really see the true art of the possible. I would imagine after something like that, you could do anything. And in, in your career. <laughs> and, you know, it, I know you've done a lot with, um, you know, when talking about more about innovation and cyber and digital transformation, um, you know, particularly with mass remote work with what we're seeing right now. And, and it's a huge security challenge. And uh, I think if you look at it the right way, though, it can also be a significant opportunity. And I'd be interested in kind of your your perspective on kind of what it looks like today for for government modernization and remote work and and, and how do they get through this big challenge, but also how can they harness it as the opportunity it can be? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this year has been uh, really interesting on that point. I mean, just sticking to the, the technology and the things with remote work. I mean, the, the cloud first mentality is, was important and allowed uh, groups that had gone there first to rotate more quickly to provide more of a, a flip to providing tools and resources for people to go uh, work at home and to be safe. Then um, I, I definitely appreciate um, the viewpoint of folks that might have been concerned about security with the cloud. Um, there's always a, a risk of wherever your your data is, whether it's on prem or or in the cloud. I mean, setting the stage from that, I mean, there is no place where your data is is always safe. You know, 100 percent right. perfectly sure protected it. here. What a right. great right. marketing. Right. What a yeah. great marketing line. <laughs> Right. I mean, you know, you'd like to think so, but there isn't like a golden ticket for that, right. you know. And in mm-hmm. fact, the days of, of building wall firewalls and perhaps demilitarized zones, I mean, it's it's that we've moved way past that and, and also past a one and done mentality where right. you set up a perimeter security and then you leave it and it's OK. I mean, the modern threat landscape is very complicated with a lot of advanced threats. Um, and even the traditional boundary of what's a network is is a bit uh, is a bit blurry there. Um, so it, it's to me, it's a continuous situation. Um, components like zero trust are important, and I think those have now become even more in the center front. You know, with the work from home and relying so much on uh, remote tools. Um, in, in terms of you know the vulnerability surface, I mean, obviously that's changed a lot as well. Um, and having a strong cyber posture is really important. Um, owners, you know, they, you know, government, you can be on prem or you can be in the cloud. I mean, cloud does offer a shared responsibility for those right. security things. Um, security used to be a reason not to go to the cloud. I mean, I remember a long time ago. I mean, that was that was huge. You're like, oh, we can't, you know, don't want to put data in the cloud. I mean, what what would that be, and right. how could we pass that trust? And now I think that's an argument for going to the cloud. You know, when you do have 
um, cloud-based services where you can enable work from home right away. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a range in services, um, but you know, those cloud providers are, that is what they do is, is secure as a part of their delivery. And I think there's a huge benefit of that specialized experience and bench strength with that um, securing and deploying and maintaining. It's kind of in their wheelhouse um, automation and, you know, yeah. I, risk handling and all that a part of it. So it's it's been very interesting um, to see those those lessons learned um, to, to really kind of um, be a part of that work from home and to view that. And, and certainly at Red Hat, we've, we've seen that we were um, really interested in engaging on that. Rachel, I think we've, I mean, I think we've heard over the, I don't want to say the past year, but we, we've heard from a lot of our guests that the cloud is inherently equally or more secure yep. these days. It's, it's well run from a security mm-hmm. perspective. And I think we're talking Absolutely. about the major CSPs right. in most cases. Right. But Charlene, you, you also touched on it. The shared responsibility model comes up a lot. I think yes. I might bring it up a bit, but you know, where is that delineation point where yeah. the customer is responsible for their data, making sure their applications are secure and mm-hmm. everything else? And I think that's an area. I mean, we had we have Dave, had Dave Exxon a couple months back, but I think that's where Red Hat does work around DevSecOps and and, and helping the customers yeah, yeah. interact with the CSPs. Right. Agree. Right. Yes, absolutely. So that's really the hybrid cloud, you know, so where you have uh, folks that need to keep data on prem uh, for a variety of reasons that that works and needs to be there. I mean, that could be because an investment has been made or Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. um, But then yet you you definitely want to have the majority of the workload. Let's say this customer majority of the workload in the cloud. You have a a hybrid cloud environment. And that's actually where uh, Red Hat sits is in that orchestration of the hybrid cloud. Uh, It's it's incredibly exciting. Um, It is a shared responsibility in the cloud from a security standpoint because the people that own the data, you know, those data owners still have a lot of decisions to make in terms of their risk profile. And they're deciding on their um, the configuration management and password control and credentialing and things of that nature. You know, so it's it's not like it's completely hands off. I mean, there is a lot of control that you still have, even though your data is in the cloud, but you have the benefit of, you know, sophisticated tools that require cloud, compu- you know, big computing like AIML um, that really look for things that are beyond what we know now from a rule or pattern. Um, And it's about uh, applying new technologies to really see things like that, you know, persistent low volume threat, you know, and other things like that. Um, But yes, the hybrid cloud is um, it's, it's complex and that you want it to be seamless. Uh, You want the experience for where the data is on prem and in the cloud um, to be a bit transparent to users um, and that's what we seek to do, um, primarily in a, a couple of um, orchestration uh, platforms that we have. And can I just back up real quick for for those folks that maybe don't know, like DevSecOps? What is that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who who hear that, but they aren't necessarily sure what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so Dev DevOps is actually a process, right. you know, where you um, you you have teams together and you run a, a process in a certain way. And DevSecOps is a bit of a twist on that, where you're bringing security forward in the process. Okay, so and that's all about you know modern software design. Right. So um, 
it's DevOps with security pulled forward. So what does that mean? It's, it's really about pulling together the developers who usually, I mean, in, in the old days, would just get a set of, of requirements written. Here you go, you know, mm-hmm. develop a capability. Um, but it's bringing the developers together with the operators. They're the people that have to make um, value out of whatever is produced. So they're really, really important. And then, of course, having the security pull forward. And in the adoption of this process, it couples really well with something called a software supply chain mm-hmm. or a trusted software supply chain. Um, and that's where you have those representatives from those three stakeholders together as part of the software bid. So the operators aren't an afterthought, but the, the security folks aren't either. Right. And so, so it's really DevSecOps is the process. And then you have something like a secured um, software supply chain or a trusted software supply factory that's there um, that is the environment. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you have a, uh, a situation where you've got an, a continuous iteration and a delivery model available. So um, in, the software, in the software factory, uh, it's a place where the developers can begin to develop their code, and it is a uh, pers- it is a, an opinionated approach with set toolings that are there in the software factory, and it's an environment where those security controls are set um, by by the owner, um, depending on their risk tolerance to meet a risk profile, right. and things that are developed inside that software factory, you can have a high degree of confidence that they're going to meet that desired risk profile. Yeah. So. What that, what those two things together um, mm-hmm. with DevSecOps and enabling, a, you know, something like a software factory, um, net out, it allows you to deliver capability much faster. You know, right. typically you would develop, then you test, and then you accredit, which is right. could the time to accredit in a security um, situation. It could, it could be as long as it took to to develop the software in the first right. place. Right. Or so, longer right. in many cases. Yeah. 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 Any yeah. accreditors yeah. out there, I've been through that. My teams have been through that. Right. Or yeah. longer. I'm, I'm rounding up. I'm rounding yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. So kind of smashing that together and enabling a tool set and a process is, is really valuable. Has the accreditation process, have, have you seen it change over the years then? Absolutely. I'm, I'm not a developer. So yeah. for me, this is really interesting. We're building security in and hopefully shrinking time to mark it down. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, back in the day, we there was this process in the DOD with DIACAP, you know, where it was mm. checklist driven. If you meet these things, then um, you're OK or you're not OK. And um, and that a huge improvement over that was the RMF process, which is risk management, which introduced a high level of subjectivity. And it was it was really empowering because it gave uh, it, g- it gave owners the ability to to have a judgment call on the level of risk. You know, it wasn't just a checklist, yeah. but it, it, but that was a, com- a level of complexity too. Because what might be okay over here would not be okay for over here, and actually that makes a lot of sense because it sort of depends on the mission, right? But um, it, it did it did allow for things to be a little harder because you, you know, you had to, there was judgment and people there still a really good process and a huge improvement. Now with things like the software factory and this modern software development, there are new processes that are popping up around that. Um, Red Hat's ongoing work with the Navy in particular with a platform called um, uh, compile to combat in 24 hours is a great example of that. It's now called Overmatch Software Armory, um, but that's a, a public reference for us and some work in, in the um, 
the output of that would be to enable a very quick scan, a confirmation that the software factory remained intact, and then you move forward into production. Um, and so the Navy now is working on the final pieces of that new process to enable that very quick. Now, it's not 24 hours, but I mean, it is very, very rapid. And there were so some- So we're, we're talking days or weeks, maybe oh, instead yes. of months or years, which is what we had in the past. Uh, absolutely, Eric. You know, in fact, you could you could almost erase the the, the game-making advantage of uh, having a quick de- a quick development because it just took so long to get into um, and, and through accreditation. And so, this is to me, it's it's really game-changing. It is fundamental uh, to my excitement here at Red Hat and what we what we do. And there's a lot of companies that do DevSecOps and there's a lot of different opinionated approaches. Um, but, you know, the focus to the allowing the, the DOD in particular to have a way to deliver capability faster to the warfighter is really important to me personally. And um, and we definitely see a lot of growth there. And we, we talked as we were prepping about there's sometimes a dog in the uh, in the podcast. We're going to leave that in, Charlene, if you don't mind. I think that's one of Rachel's furry friends there. It is one of my furry friends, yes. So I'm curious, you know, as we start looking at, you know, building in security earlier into the process and, and kind of uh, we've talked about this in, in recent uh, you know, podcast, just the, the aggressive nature of what we're seeing in attacks today and uh, I don't know if you saw over the weekend kind of Acer and that ransomware for $50 million is, yeah. is starting to take this kind of security first approach. Is is that going to help us get ahead of the challenge or, or how do you see that playing out? Yeah. So in terms of, in terms of exploitation and hacks, I mean, there's, there's really no end to that, right? I mean, yeah. there, there always will be that next thing around the corner yeah. always will be something. Maybe you can see it coming, Maybe you can't see it coming, and that's where um, you really have to have a, a rotation around resiliency mm-hmm. and ability to recover over build a wall and defend. Right. You know, so it's almost as if you, you assume that those things happen and they will happen, breaches and things of that nature, uh, so that you can properly posture not only your technology but also your people and your culture around that. For me, um, DevSecOps is about really delivering and iterating quickly. Um, so when when things are found and you do need to make those really key changes, having the software sitting inside of a factory uh, or trusted you know software supply chain, depending on the terminology, right. um, it means that it is most most likely in a containerized forum, which mm-hmm. is a new way of coding, which, right. which kind of pairs with all of these concepts, that, that you can make a quick iteration on that little piece of code, run it through, and then immediately have it available. I mean, just, just that making changes quicker, I think, is the value yeah. add for, for all of that. And, and that really speaks to speed and agility. Right. You know, so the Solarium Commission, uh, you know, if there were two words that kind of popped out on all that, that you just couldn't ignore it was speed and uh, speed and agility, speed and agility. And in fact, it was in bold, I think, in a lot of parts of the exact sum. Mm. And I think that's where the DevSecOps and the trusted supply, it's, yeah. it is the mechanism to allow that speed and agility. Um, but, but again, I, I think that um, being able to, to assume that you will have difficulty right. is a very good thing to do. 
uh, just in general and, and think about how you will be more resilient and your process and mechanisms around that to recover are important. That's not a negative thing. I think that's just that's just where we are today is the technology continues to change so quickly. Yeah, it's really understanding and evaluating that risk. Charlene, I have a question for you. When you talk about the software factory, you're, what you're talking about is in an agency or a military organization, the teams of developers in there that are creating content or creating applications for to serve to service the mission. We're also seeing the same thing with the supply chain vendors, such as like a Forcepoint or a Microsoft or others, yeah. where yeah. they're using the same tech, the same capabilities, processes, DevSecOps yeah. to make better products yeah. that are then supplied to the U.S. government or, or governments globally, customers globally, really. Why limit to governments, right? Yes. Fair statement? Yes. I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay. so, so there is the adoption of the process and they may have their own factory or their own approaches to developing. I mean, modern software, uh, whether or not you're, you're in a trusted factory or not, um, now is, is all about best use of containers and container mm-hmm. practices and having a good container orchestrator. And that, that pairs with going to cloud or hybrid cloud. I mean, you need to have those, um, those components in there. Otherwise, you know, old monolithic code and there's, there's a lot of legacy code, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's actually a huge challenge now for the the government and defense. It's a lot of that laying around and you can't flip the switch and make all that modern tomorrow. It it takes a, a plan and a process and prioritization of what's most important but, you know, that a lot of that that's sitting that's very heavy, it's very difficult. Um, you know, it, it's much more difficult to address that than it is to to take a new idea off the shelf right. and go design. You know, to start fresh as, as always. Well, you don't have all that baggage. Right. Right. Yeah, right. 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 Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So this sounds like. I don't know. The more we talk about these things, Eric, and, and cybersecurity and kind of the path ahead, I actually get excited about the innovation opportunities. You know, I mean, it's this crazy complex challenge, but all of this new uh, technology and, and all of this new way of thinking that's starting to come to the forefront on how we tackle this challenge, it gets me really excited for the folks that are coming up kind of behind us, you know, this next wave of folks. And and I know you've been really active in in STEM and and uh, reaching out to, to communities, Charlene, and, and you know, kind of uh, getting that next group of folks up. I mean, what are you seeing out there? What do you say to them you know, when they're maybe thinking about, you know, career in cybersecurity, but they're like, I just don't see people like me in there. Um, you know, where, where would I fit? How do I get in? Where do I start? How, what do you talk? What do you tell them? Yeah, well, I, I first begin with optimism, right? So I'm, I'm super optimistic about the value of having diversity and inclusion, you know, which goes beyond women in STEM, but it is, it is super important to me. I mean, the people who are different think differently, Yes. And that could not be more important. I mean, it really is a value uh, corporately. So yes. it's it's for me, it's more than, oh, it's fun and it's the right thing to do. And I love to mentor. It's, it's also about making teams stronger. And so I, I share the why. I love that because I think they they ought to hear that. You know, this is this is about um, creating opportunity and not um not not allowing yourself to be held back by biases. I think for um, 
maybe the three things I triple came out with an article in January about mm-hmm. like key things. And I, I really like that. I've shared it out a few times, but their top three things, which I totally agree with. Um, one was about being a relatable role model. Mm-hmm. And so okay. I, I think that's really important, you know, that, that people want to be relatable, which, yes. which means it's not all a pep rally. Right. You need to be transparent. Right. Um, it may be harder for certain groups to grow networks in certain fields than others. Exposure sure. and honesty is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I try to be relatable. And I'd say, you know, if, if my story isn't relatable, then let's try to find someone who you can relate more with who's right. been successful. Um, because my my key component is to, to really uh, – to really employ the, the tenets of servant leadership and help um, yes. help these uh, folks to, to grow. The second thing that they um, talked about, which which we adopt in my STEM activities, is real world hands on. Mm-hmm. Now, COVID's made this a little challenging. Obviously, right. I mean, there's a lot yeah. less opportunity for that hands on. But but getting your hands on things, whether that's um, hands on Legos or hands on kits, you know, to to and that's important, especially like fourth to sixth graders. And that's something that I'm yes. working on now with um, with a group and, uh, you know, getting kits out and, and maybe we do this together virtually, but something in their hands tangibly um, that really helps to reinforce the ideals and why STEM is important. Um, and, and then, you know, coupling with a it's it's about just being honest with strengths and weaknesses. If, if this is a strength and you really like STEM. Right then great. Maybe this is a fit. If it's not, then it, it, it's not. But a typical STEM uh, a worker, you know, they, they do have a lot more earning power than in other, other areas. And right. though, uh, you know, there are women growing generally in their perspective of STEM in terms of, you know, Census Bureau and others have, have lots of good studies on that few research. Uh, the, the percentage of women growing in, in computer science in particular is not mm-hmm. growing. Um, so, so that's something that I, I've been focused on to say, hey, those are some really areas where you can earn well and have good earning power. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make a great uh, impact on your society if this is an interest area for you. Right. And so I, I just have focused around that. I've been super privileged to be to be around um, other leaders who are as excited about this as I am and really see this as a way of empowering young minds empowering companies to be stronger and, and ultimately to, to really make a difference. Charlene, yeah. I, I want to go back to your, maybe not your childhood, but when you were a, a young woman <laughs> trying to figure out what you wanted to do, you, you said, you said part one was make sure it's relatable. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so you're in high school, you're trying to figure out where to go. How do you, how do you pick the Naval Academy with an engineering right. degree and then Stanford and yeah. all of the accomplishments <laughs> you've had? I mean, I'm having trouble relating to it and I'm 47. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of work. <laughs> I, I tell you. How do you do I, that? I, I was encouraged. Um, I went I went up to Annapolis when I was a junior or 10th grade or something. Okay. I was like, yeah, this is where I belong. I'm going to. Why, did you, why did you feel that way? I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it's, I was, your mind is different. You know, you're an impressionable high schooler. I was always, you know, super intense. And I identified with what I saw. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw young people who I felt an attachment to, even though I didn't know any of them, right. who right. were going to serve the Navy, who really wanted to make a difference, who wanted independence. Mm-hmm. And they were out to just do something amazing. Yeah. And, and I got caught up in that. I was like, Bet. you know what? 
I, I'm attracted to this and, and, and forget about the fact that I didn't know much about the military. Um, I didn't, I didn't really know much at all, frankly. So this wasn't a lifelong dream or anything. You, you showed up at the Naval Academy for a visit and said, uh, these are my people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. How, how do you I, even decide to go there? Yeah. Well, it, it turns out it's a big process and I think even more now then, and I'm glad right. I, I was, I applied then and not now because I think the competition is crazy. <laughs> I think it was pretty tough back then too. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I, I felt, I, I felt in my heart I belonged. Yeah. And but so how do you, I, how do you even like, how do you say, I want to go look at the Naval Academy? I mean, yeah. one of the more difficult college journeys, as you yeah. were just mentioned, like, you, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You're 16, you're 17. Boy, yeah. I'd like to check I out bet. the Naval Academy right, at some right. point here. Like, how, <laughs> how do you even get there? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, you know, I, so this is, this is a little bit about parent leadership, mm -hmm. right? So my, my parents saw in me certain traits that they thought would pair well, and they, they weren't oh, military, right? right. But okay. I did grow up in Hampton Roads. So I was in some respects surrounded by the military and I, it, it felt friendly to me. You know, I had been around ships. I had been around, right. you know, people okay. in uniform. Right. So it wasn't unusual. It wasn't that big of a jump in the deep end. Right. Mm -hmm. So like I had been around the community. Um, but no, we were, we were up on a visit. We were, my dad and I were going around looking at colleges and he said, I want to take you someplace. And he, he didn't even tell me where we wow. were going. He said, well, I'm going to take you someplace. And I, you know, was along for the ride and um, we showed up and we went right into one of the places and they showed the video and it was all about how you can make a difference. Wow. And it looked really hard. Uh, it did not look like okay. a party. It looked, it looked hard. Yeah, they don't sugarcoat, right? <laughs> no. And, and, and they had engineering which is what I really yeah. wanted to do. Cause I'd always taken stuff apart. I knew I wanted to be an engineer and it, it was like, Oh, well you can, you can have this and you can serve and I can be an engineer. Like what's not to like. Right. Um, so how do I get in and yeah. what's that process? And, and so um, we were fortunate uh, to have a Norman Sosiski was our delegate here then at the time. And uh, he, he, you know, I remember interviewing with his staff for the nomination and I had to explain why I deserved it, which I wasn't sure that I did. I, I just said, I really, here's why it speaks to me in a way okay. that I really can't maybe articulate. Right. And I don't have a great backup plan because I do think I belong here and I really want to serve. And if not this, then I'll serve in another way. And, and it, it was, it was wonderful. Um, it was everything I wanted it to be. I learned so much and the camaraderie you know, is, is something that I could never replace. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's always, it's always a part of, of right. me and it's where right. I really learned about servant leadership and about how, um, to be a good leader. The main tenet is to make sure everybody else can fulfill their optimum objectives, yeah. you know, make everybody else around you successful, work to make them right. successful. How can you help them environment wise? And, and right. the more senior you get, the more levers you have to help people. Right. But that's what makes you a strong leader. Set aside the, the feeling of competition or it's a net, it's a zero sum game because it's not, it's about empowering people. And that I learned and have taken with me my whole life. Um, I went to Stanford 
uh, out of luck. I applied and they took me. I was so excited. I was about halfway through my naval career. Mm -hmm. And it was, again, something I wanted to do. And we had a, a program and I, uh, I wanted to go because I could go into engineering, but they allowed me flexibility. Oh, so great. I said, hey, you know, what if I wanted to learn about law? Can I take a negotiation class? And I remember there was this pause, like, why would you want to do that? I'm like, well, I think that's important. That's yeah. about people. Like, let yeah. me do that. I'll, I'll, I'll compute, but let me work with people too. And and they were awesome. And I love that program at Stanford and would so promote it. It was the best year uh, really for learning different parts of leadership and has mm -hmm. really shaped me now. Um, it's a center of innovation then. It is now. And there's lots of schools, you know, right. that, that have that. But I, I had the unique ability and privilege to go as a student. Nice. So I didn't have to have a job and a student. Right. My job in the Navy was to go be a student. Wow. Right. And learn. How great is that, yeah, right? That's wonderful. Yeah. So that's the Navy supporting its leaders by saying, go invest in school and then come back to us right. and share it out. And I, I have to say, um, could not talk about the Navy and that experience without saying I had the best mentors ever. And that really was and is the most important thing is to have a network and to have people who are genuinely interested in helping you develop mm -hmm. as a leader and at different stages of that leadership piece. And, and I am very focused now on making sure that to the extent that people are interested, I share that back out. If you'd like to have so, so how do you how, how do you go about getting the mentors that helped guide you in your career? We we spoke last week, Rachel, <laughs> yes, with Jill. Yes, no, that's a great about question. About mentoring yes. and advocacy, but Absolutely. Charlene, <laughs> how do how do you do that? Yeah, so I just ask. Okay, so I love there's this. what I love do you mean? This. I love this. <laughs> there's not Hey, would you be my mentor? Yes. <laughs> well, so, would you spend so, a little time with me? Help me out here. Yes. So, so I guess, and there's people that say like, don't do that. That's like too, it freaks people out. For me, it's just been always transparent. Right. Hi, my, it's just like when you're a, a little kid at the plate. Hi, my name is Charlene and I could use some help in this area. And here's my background and here's what I'm wrestling with. And I think you have a unique perspective that could help me. Would you be willing to help share your story to make me a better leader? And I, it, it's just kind of like that. Yeah. And I, it is, it's very direct, but that's kind of my approach. People who know and work with me know me to be fairly direct. Um, but I just look at that's honest. I'm not yeah. trying to, to be something I'm not, I'm not trying right. to, you know, Hey, you know, I really, you know, just want to just add another name. It's, it's not about that. It's I'm interested genuinely because I've done my research. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, that's the other thing. Is, right. And I tell people, if you want a mentor, you, you need to spend your time on figuring out what aspects of a leader do you think would most help you? Right. Like, don't look for somebody like you. You should right. actually look for somebody not like you, mm -hmm. right? Because they're going to think about things differently. Um, and, and you need to do your research, right. you know, know what the person has done, research where they've talked uh, publicly um, and decide if that's the viewpoint that you would be open to receiving. Um, so it's a little bit of that, but then, yeah, I ask, I call and ask. You just ask. Always, um, okay. Yeah. I, and, I mean, and just to say, here's what, here's my challenge. Or sometimes it's not mm -hmm. that when I was leaving the Navy, I was retiring. I had no idea, you know, what private sector was really like. Right. Um, I must've interviewed, shoot, 
50, 60 people or more. Wow. Maybe more. And it was all people I didn't know. And I tried to choose people that were as different as me as possible. That's great. And I just called up strangers. And turns out that's actually a really good skill to have. But um, (laughs) then it was very self-serving. Like, can you help me? Yeah. Uh, Can you share? Are you happy? What what are your goals? What do you look for? You know, and it's remarkable how many people are willing to share out their stories. And not always is it helpful, of course, you know, some more than others. But then you get a few that you really connect with and you value and you're like, okay, we got a common value. We got a common ethics, common this, common that, you know maybe long-term you can, you can help me and maybe there's a way for me to give back somehow to pay it forward. I love it. Very cool. So what, what one piece of advice would you give young women looking to go into STEM or thinking about it? Maybe they don't know. What would you recommend? To be bold. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, uh, to just have, have confidence and ask. You know, to, and, and if someone says no or or treats you like you feel you didn't deserve that or sets you back, then then you get like 10 seconds to feel bad about that. You get and 20 seconds to journal about that. Yeah. And then you move on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't dwell. And in, in, in fact, most most people, that's resilience, you right. know, and I, I've talked a, a lot about, hey, if you go into tech and you want to you want to do that, it's not a static place. It's right. dynamic. It's disruptive. So you need to be a dynamic, disruptive, growth oriented leader mm-hmm. if you want to be successful in this field. That's just my opinion. You know, I just I think if you're not, then you get uncomfortable right. and you kind of need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and yes. not having all of the answers. Yes. And if that suits you, then this is probably good. If it doesn't suit you, that's not a bad thing. It's just probably not your thing or maybe in other places in IT, maybe not in cloud or places that are really growing and changing so quickly. Um, but be bold and be be confident and don't worry about, you know, getting knocked down because you probably will. We all yeah. are. Nobody's got a perfect, <laughs> a perfect score, right? <laughs> be bold. Love it, Rachel. I do too. I do. Be You're bold. You're pretty bold, Rachel. Yeah. Well, I try to be, but, you know, <laughs> I haven't yeah. started calling strangers yet. So it's, I got to get out of my comfort zone and, and start making some more friends. But I, I just love this common theme though, too, Charlene, about you're being honest with yourself, you know, just kind of getting a sense of what is it that I really want to do? And, and is this for me? And, and what are my strengths and weaknesses? Because you can always develop weaknesses, but if your heart's not in it, right, you know, it's, it's very difficult to, to kind of succeed. And, and I, I just think that's always a good reminder to folks. You know, it's, yeah. it's not about necessarily money or title, but it's like, are you, do you enjoy what you do? Are you excited to get yeah. up and like I was excited to get up today because I knew I was talking to you guys, for example. So right. it's, well, it's me too. a really good reminder. <laughs> it's a really good reminder. Thank you for that. I, I was excited because I, I didn't know either one of you before today. So I was like, I'm going to meet two new leaders and I'm excited. <laughs> and, you know, I, I really value value that. And, uh, you know, I, I encourage the conversation, Rachel, and I appreciate the questions, Eric. I mean, it's been me- very meaningful to me. I've, I've learned a lot in this hour that we spent together. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Well, I guess with that, I mean. Well, hold on, Rachel. 
Oh, you right. always oh. ask me. You oh. always ask me how I'm doing today. <laughs> I, I know I skipped over that. And today. you skipped right over it today. But I'd like you to ask Charlene because I hear she has a coffee mug collection <laughs> that helps determine how she's doing, depending on which cup she chooses. Yes, that's true. Charlene, how are you feeling today? What's your I, I'm perspective? Feeling... <laughs> yeah, today is Magical Monday. So I have a unicorn on my coffee cup today. I love it. Yes. Magical Monday. I'll take that every day of the week. Magical Monday. Yeah. So if you believe it, right? Because so much of it is a a mental game, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you got to believe it. Got to believe in yourself and uh, really want to make a difference in whatever you're doing. And I I truly believe that no job is a job. You've got to love what you're doing. And then, um, you know, it feels just so fun every day. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thanks everybody for, for joining us this week for To The Point. This has been an awesome conversation with Charlene Mowry. Thank you so much for joining us today. And folks, be sure to subscribe. You can get us directly to your inbox every single week. Uh, we're on every major podcast streaming platform. Uh, you can find us everywhere. So until next week, uh, stay safe, be well, and we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 